Wow, big wow, huh? Fabulous story, so thankful. Well, we are at the conclusion now of this series we've been on called Life in 3D, and today I want to talk about destiny a little bit. Carly referred to that right at the end of her storytelling, that she wants to live for Jesus and fulfill the destiny God's given her life. And I believe everyone has a destiny. Everyone has a purpose. Let me try to define destiny for us. What is the one primary significant contribution you believe God wants you to leave on the earth while you're here? What is the one primary significant contribution God wants you to leave while you're here on the earth? It's a good question, isn't it? What is your destiny? What is your purpose, your primary purpose? Why are you here? Well, uh, I believe the life of Joseph has a lot to teach us about this process, and we can learn much wisdom, I think, from him and be inspired by him. So I have chosen uh, for our text today from the book of Genesis, chapter 37. Genesis 37, I'm going to read for us verses 12 to 28. So if you have your Bible, so you can turn to that passage. If not, we'll project these words on the screen. And I also want to uh, just give you a little context. You remember the, pr- the first patriarchs. We have Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. These 12 boys ultimately became the heads of the, of the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. You know, Judah and Dan and Naphtali, 12 of them. And Joseph was one of these 12 brothers. And so this family with 12 sons, with Jacob, who later became known as Israel. God kind of changed his name midstream there. And so Jacob and Israel are interchangeable names for, for that uh, patriarch. And so we find the story, we pick up the story now when Joseph's 11 brothers betray him and the, the beginning of his hardships on this road to fulfilling his destiny. And as I say, I hope we have much we can learn from his story. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Genesis 37. As you're able, let me invite you to stand to hear these words from verses 12 to 28. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem and Israel, that is Jacob, said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They've moved on from here, he answered. And I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. They saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben, one of the brothers, heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. You remember Joseph and the multi-technicolor dream coat? It's that, that's the coat right there that, that his father had made for him and further uh, caused resentment from his other brothers because dad loves him best, that sort of thing. They took him and threw him in the cistern, and the cistern was empty. There's no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. 
Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. Verse 28. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern, sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. May God inspire us today through this important story. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Hey, let me ask you this question. How do we treat our number one draft choices? NBA draft, NFL draft, Major League Baseball. How do we treat our number one draft choices? Do we treat them well? Are we good to them? We pay them a lot of money? Oh, yeah. Do we make life easy for them? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding? We put the red carpet out. We remove as many obstacles from these guys. I mean, with that much investment, we want to do everything we can to make sure that they succeed. And so we treat our number one draft choices very, very well. Let me ask you this question. If you were God and you had someone really, really special, really gifted, really talented, high capacity, and you had big plans for them, I mean, they, I mean, they had real significant purpose, uh, a really high destiny you had in mind for them. How, if you were God, how would you treat your number one draft choice? How would you do it? Let me just remind you this morning that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He goes about things much differently than we would go about things. And we can learn lessons from, from Joseph about the ways of God. You know, when the Israelites were in the wilderness under Moses, wandering there for many years, God actually came and said, look, I have shown Israel, the nation of Israel, my acts, my demonstrations of power, all of that. They have seen the acts of God. But with Moses, God said, with Moses, I have shown him my ways. In other words, I have revealed to Moses my special plans, my special ways, my special purposes, the means that I engage in order to bring a person from where they are to where I desire them to be. And so he said, I taught Moses my ways. You would be a wise person. You would be a better uh, fulfilled and a better supplied and a, a better prepared person to live your life and to fulfill the destiny of God for your life if you understand better the ways of God. So that when things are happening to your life, you say, well, I, I recognize the work of God in me. I see something in someone else. That looks like the ways of God at work in your life. If you have the wisdom of God, you also have the ways of God in mind. So let's see what we can learn from Joseph and the ways of God. Joseph had two dreams. He was just a boy, and he began dreaming. I mean, literally, in his sleep, he had dreams. And he went to sleep one night. We don't know how old he was, maybe an adolescent, something like that. And he sees these 11 stalks of, of grain, these sheaves of grain, kind of bundled together. There are 11 of them. And then there's the 12th, and it's representative of himself. And there's a single stalk of grain, these sheaves of grain, representing Joseph. And in his dream, all of his brothers, symbolized by these sheaves of grain, are in a semicircle, and Joseph is in the middle, and they all bow down in a subservient posture before him. That's the first dream. Then in the second dream, Joseph 
Joseph sees the sun and the moon representing his parents and 11 stars, his brothers, and his star now in the center of all these and the sun and moon and 11 stars all bow down and lower themselves before his star. And Joseph thinks these are pretty cool dreams. And so he wakes up in the morning and says, hey, and I had another dream. And in my dream, the sun, the moon, that's you and, you, and, you and dad, and 11 stars, all you guys, you're all bowing down to me. How cool is that? And Joseph thought it was great, but his brothers, uh, not so much. And they resented him for it. And Jacob loved him best, apparently. He was next to the youngest. Benjamin came along the very last. And Joseph was, you know, so he was young, he was handsome, he was smart, he was high-capacity guy, he's one of these blue-chip kids. He's, he's the kind of guy that's easy to hate, and so, and so his brothers didn't like him much. And he didn't know what to do with his dreams. Now, watch this. Joseph's dreams were from God. Now, watch. Joseph's dreams were from God, but it was the dreams that got him into trouble, that caused his pain, that caused his trouble. Let me put this statement up on the screen so you can see it. Many times the ways of God will not put you on the road to ease, but on the road to difficulty. You all right with that? Now we're learning the ways of God. His ways are not our ways. May not be what we would choose for ourselves or choose for the people we love, but this is the way of God. Many times the ways of God will put you not on the road to ease, but the road of difficulty. Let's get into your outline now. The point number one, we can refer to Joseph, and that is he was ill-equipped to fulfill his destiny. He was ill-equipped. He's only 17 years old. We know his age when his brothers betrayed him. He's only 17 years old, and he's not ready. He's not seasoned enough. He's, 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 not, uh, he's not qualified. And to make matters worse, God never tells Joseph how to manage his dreams. So he's just an adolescent He's a loose cannon. He wakes up in the morning and says, hey, you guys were worshiping me again in my dreams. And, you know, it's not working out for him. And so God, God gives him a dream but doesn't instruct him on how to manage and process and deal with them. And by the way, that's the same with your life as well. God will give you an idea. He'll give you a dream. He'll give you a sense of destiny, some important thing to do. But he won't give you all the steps in order to get there. Dreams usually just come in a big picture form and then you, you are given enough light for the day, enough information to take the next step. And that's the way it processes. So you learn as you go. You develop as you go on your way to God's best plan for your life. And that's what happened to Joseph here. In fact, if God had revealed the entire story to Joseph, by the way, Joseph, here's what's going to happen. Uh, your family will one day worship you and bow down in, in submission to you. And, and so from the time you're 17, you'll be betrayed by your brother, sold into slavery, land in a house of a guy named Potiphar in Egypt, a land that you're not familiar with. You don't know the culture. You don't know the language. You don't know anybody there. You're just an only solo guy, just a slave. You don't own anything. You know, Potiphar will own you like a cow. And then his wife will accuse you falsely of sexual advances. And, and, and it'll be all false, trumped up charges but it'll be enough to have you thrown into prison so that you'll be in prison not just for a while, but you'll languish there for years. And about 13 years from now, after all this hell has happened in your life, then we'll get you to the place where you're, you can fulfill your destiny. Now, if Joseph had known that whole course from the front to the back, there may have been some temptation on Joseph's part to say, no, forget me, count me out. That's too much. Find somebody else. 
And I suspect that would be true in your life and mine as well. That if God gave us the whole blueprint before it started, if you, if you knew then what you know now, you might have given up. Me too. Before we even got started. And so light for the day, enough, enough manna for today, enough information to take the next step. And so what we learn, I'll put this on the screen for you. The process of pursuing our destiny is as important as arriving at our destiny. John Wimber said, once the journey is the destination. And so God wants us to invest and enjoy and engage the journey. Let me tell you about a woman. She's very smart. She grew up in a, in a, in a good home, and she was very attractive and very high capacity. And she got scholarships to college. And then beyond that, uh, an Ivy school asked her to come and study free of charge in their medical school because she was so brilliant, so great. And she married, and, and she had a husband and then two kids and developed a great medical career. And she was very highly esteemed in her community. And her two kids were just perfect. You know, she had this idyllic life. And, and not only that, but she actually began to think because of how easy life had been for her, that life was all about her. And that she thought she was the center of the world. And so she became selfish. And she became self-absorbed. She thought that life was just one straight line of success and ease. You know, all honey, no bees. Little work and all ease. That's what she thought life was about. She thinks, I'm a good enough Christian that... Bad things don't happen to good people like me. And I'm so special that only good comes my way. And so she was living her life that way. And, you know, over time, she began to, began to resent the people around her. In fact, she didn't like people. She resented her patients and didn't like them. And then she grew to resent her husband because he had some issues and some problems. And she thought he was weak. And so she disdained him because of that. And her children also picked up on the cues and she, they decided that they didn't care for her style or, or the way she went through the world. And so they resented her. And this woman got more and more lonely and more and more isolated in her self-indulgence all the way to the end of her life. Now let's take this woman and just set her on the shelf. We'll come back to her in just a little bit. If I'm not mistaken, most Christian people judge success by the relative absence of problems and challenges and adversity. Do I have that right? Most people judge themselves and one another based on relative number of problems. We tend to base our opinion of God's blessing on the relative lack of adversity in our lives. And of course, our goal in life is to try to go through it with as few problems as possible. And that's a, that's a good goal. It's a noble goal. However, that kind of worldview, that kind of theology will leave us ill-equipped for the experiences that we come to when we find ourselves in a pit. Joseph gets thrown into a pit by his brothers, and he didn't deserve any of that. It wasn't his fault, but yet there he is. So he's ill-equipped. And that leads me to this second thought, and that is God will never elevate a person above their character. God will never elevate. Did you hear the word never? <laughs> elevate a person above their character? Now, human beings do this all the time. We hire people above their character. We elect people above their character, we assign people, appoint people above their character sub substance to places of influence, to positions of influence that they are not ready for. And just a basic information, my own 
personal observation is that the leading candidates right now for the present, next president of the United States uh, on both sides of the aisle, both Democrat and Republican leaders right now, if they go all the way to the end and are nominated by their parties, the United States next November will elect somebody, in my opinion, whose character is not substantial enough for the office. And that shouldn't shock or surprise any of us if that's true, because we've done this many, many times. And we do it every day. We appoint and assign and elevate people to positions that their character is not significant enough to sustain. But God, the point I want to make is that God will never elevate you or me to a level of influence, to a position of influence that is not substantiated by the quality of our character, our Christ-likeness. And so God will always work to develop us at the level of our Christ-likeness before he elevates us to a position of influence. Let me just put this on the screen for you to reiterate. Before you go to the next level of increased possession of your destiny and influence, God will always work to first deepen your character. God always wants to take us deeper before he takes us into a broader sphere of influence. Always. That's, the, that's his ways. That's the ways of God. What's happening to Joseph? That's unfair. That's unjust. That's wrong. That's, that's of the devil. Whether his brothers betraying, that's of the devil. And it's a way of God. Because God has to get that boy ready for something substantial. And if his character isn't ready for the moment, then he will fail to fulfill his destiny. And so God knows he's got to deepen and sharpen and increase and substantiate this boy's character so that when the moment comes, his character can sustain the moment so that he can fulfill his destiny. Joseph, of course, his, his destiny, ultimate destiny, was to be placed in a position of extreme power as the prime minister of, of Egypt if you've read the story, you know that he goes from prison and God elevates him to prime minister almost overnight. It's a, it's a miracle uh, activity of God's hand, God's providence, his work in his life. And so here he is. And, and, and so you say, well, that's it. That must be his destiny, that Joseph was destined to become the most powerful man on the face of the earth. You could argue that his position at that time in that place was the most powerful and authoritative position in, in the entire world, the most powerful man in the world. You say, well, that's a pretty, pretty big destiny, except that wasn't Joseph's destiny to become prime minister of Egypt. Let me tell you what his destiny was. Because listen now, here, here's an important point. Destiny is never about you and never about me. God's best plan for our lives isn't just about us. When you ask the question, what is the purpose for your life? The first answer is not about you. Your destiny and your purpose is always tied to your relationship with Jesus Christ and your willingness to be part of making Jesus more popular in the world. To know Jesus Christ in a, in a personal and authentic way and then to allow your life to be used to expand His influence here and there around the world. That's, that's the destiny of every person. For Joseph, watch this now, his destiny wasn't merely to become prime minister, a powerful position. His destiny was to save a nation. 
Because if I, I mentioned to you, his brothers became the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. So Joseph's destiny wasn't just to get in some political office. Joseph's destiny was to save the nation of Israel. It was a pretty important job, pretty important destiny. And so Joseph's character is being formed day by day, year by year, for this moment when the very brothers that betrayed him and abandoned him and left him for dead and sold him into slavery, thinking that he was long since gone, they now stand before Joseph. They don't even know who Joseph is. But they know that this man has the power of life and death over their sorry behinds. And so Joseph stands there and he recognizes his family. They don't recognize him. And they say, please, would you give us some food in the midst of this famine or we're going to shrivel up and die. We submit ourselves to your will and your authority. We'll do anything if you'll just keep us alive. And there they were and they bowed themselves before Joseph. Now this is the test of character. God had to have a man whose character was substantial enough, listen to this, substantial enough to forgive his brothers for abandoning him 13 years earlier. Now, if you're not full of the quality and character of God in a moment like that, what are you going to do? Let's see, off with your head, off with your head, off with your head. You know good stinkers. Tables are turned now, huh? How's that feel? You want to feel some of that anxiety I felt? Some of that fear? Yeah, I'll just give some of that right back. But what does Joseph do? Joseph finds his heart being broken. He has this, this crazy mix of emotion, but he, and his heart is broken. He has to dismiss himself, and he goes to a, to a back room, and he, and he weeps. He has to compose himself because he's overcome with the emotion that can, you know, just the moment but his character has been formed in the image God needs, the substance that God needs. And he marches back out there and he says, you guys don't know who I am, do you? And they said, no, sir, we don't know who you are. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph. <laughs> and they all went, oh. <laughs> and Joseph said, you're not going to get what you expect. I forgive you. You're my family. I'm going to take care of you. We look back on that and we say, you know, well, you know, good for him and the nation of Israel was preserved and redemptive history has come to us now these thousands of years later and we can talk about this story and it just makes us feel so good and warm. Wait. What pit are you in? What process of character formation are you experiencing? What's the growth edge in your life? What is God doing in you in order to prepare you for something really big? And are you willing to submit to that work, painful as it might be, challenging as it might be, difficult, scary, uncertain as it might be, are you willing to submit to the work of God so that he might get you ready? Everybody say Carly. That leads me to the third point. You'll find it on your outline. God does not tamper with the dream, but he does temper the dreamer. The same kind of thought, isn't it? Doesn't tamper with the dream, 
but he does temper the dreamer. Joseph could have given up. He could have cashed in. He could have given out. He could have compromised. He could have lowered his standards. He could have, he could have lowered his boundaries with Potiphar's wife. He had a thousand opportunities to indulge himself in some way, but he would not sin against God and compromise his own integrity because Joseph hung on to his dream. And in this way, he inspires us. He models for us what it looks like to, to, to hang in there and not to give up. You know, for many people in this room today, the greatest testimony you have, this is a, a great testimony. It's not that you've done some great thing that everybody noticed. But for you, the greatest thing that you can say is, look, I'm still here. I'm still standing. I still love God. I, I still have my, my sanity. I still have some sense that I'm, I'm here for a reason, that God has allowed me to, to maintain my life for some purpose. And it's a great testimony to be able to say, you know, this is what I've been through, but I'm still standing by God's grace. That's a great testimony, friends. Let me just, uh, let me just remind you then. I'll put this on the screen for you. If you're not willing to be tempered, you'll never fulfill your destiny. If you're not willing to go through it, you'll never fulfill your destiny. One great saint of God, old saint of God, was asked by another man, what makes a man great? What makes a man great? It's a great question. And this old wise saint of God gave him a one-word answer. He said, what, does a, what makes a man great? He said, trouble. Hear the wisdom of God. Airline pilots report that they have on occasion seen eagles flying at an altitude of 30,000 feet in the air. Isn't that amazing? 30,000 feet. And it's always in association with very severe thunderstorms. Now, we can only imagine what goes through the mind of an eagle when a storm's blowing up. But can you imagine? It could be that when a big thunderstorm's blowing up, then an eagle in his mind goes, I hope it's a bad one. Because he knows if it's a bad one, he's going to get some altitude out of it. That it's going to blow him on up there. And Joseph somehow was able to make that connection. That God was at work and he wouldn't let go of his dream. Here's the, here's the fourth idea that I want to give you. Just as God was in the dreams, he was also with the dreamer. He's in the dreams and he's with you. Now this is where I want to encourage you this morning. Some of you wonder if God's with you anymore. He feels a thousand miles away. It feels like your prayers go unanswered. It feels like you're isolated and alone. And in that sense of isolation, the temptation to give in and to give up and to compromise becomes very strong. But the promise is that God will never leave you, that He gives you a dream, He gives you a sense of destiny, He gives you purpose in your life, and then He's with you each step of the way, even though some of those steps may be filled with adversity and suffering. God is with you all the time. Joseph discovered that in the cistern. He discovered that in betrayal. He discovered that in prison. He discovered it for 13 consecutive years. And what happens, what happens to too many of us is that people stop dreaming dreams. People stop trusting God for a better future. People give up on the hope that somehow their destiny will be fulfilled. And so people compromise and they settle for something less than God's best. 
And this, and this happens in people's lives. People start critiquing the ways and means of God. Wait a minute. If this, if this is the ways of God, then who needs God? If this is what God means by getting me ready for something substantial, then, then who needs it? If this is, if this is a, what a friend does to help a person along, then who needs friends? And so people give up and people give in. The other option, of course, is that you can take your stand and you can trust God and you can believe that he's close. Even when he doesn't feel close, you can know that he's close because he's promised not to leave you nor forsake you. And we know that God is there and we know that God is close. And so we trust in that and we allow our faith to grow. And we, we call our trusted friends around us and say to them, look, I don't have faith to believe God even cares anymore about me, let alone is close to me. Would you please believe God for me while I struggle through this pit experience? And people pray for you and support you and, and have faith for you when you don't have any of your own. But you hang in there and you, and you, and you take your stand. Kim Kaling is a good friend. We served on the board of directors of a mission agency for a number of years. And she and her husband, Joel, and two small children at the time served as missionaries in Sierra Leone, Africa. And while they were in Africa serving there, they lived in a compound with a handful of other missionary families. And Sierra Leone experienced civil war. And one morning, revolutionaries broke into their compound and a demonized insanity ensued. Screaming, gunfire. Kim's very best friend was taken out of her home, dragged out of her home, forced down to her knees, and a guy came running by with a ball-peen hammer and killed her instantly with that hammer. Kim's husband, Joel, was dragged out into the courtyard. Kim was dragged back into the house. Her children separated from her. In another room in the house, her children were screaming and crying. Kim was forced down onto her knees and the barrel of a rifle placed in the back of her head. Now, when Kim told me the story, I knew that she had come home. I knew that her husband was safe. I knew her children had come home. Kim reported that while she was kneeling there on that floor, believing that in the next instant she was going to be blown into eternity. She said through all of this confusion, all of this insanity, all of this noise, and it's hard to get your mind around what might be happening there. She said she heard herself pray this prayer. She said, I prayed it out loud. In the midst of all of that craziness, she prayed, Jesus, are you here? That's a good prayer, isn't it? Isn't that a good prayer? Jesus, are you here? By the way, that's a prayer that Jesus loves to answer. She prayed, Jesus, are you here? And she said, through all of the noise, all the clutter, all the demonized insanity of that moment, the screaming of her own children, through all of that obfuscation, all of that pain, she said she heard a clarion voice, not into her heart, not into her mind, not into her thoughts, but she said, into my ear, I heard the clarion voice of Jesus who said, yes, I'm here. So Kim's story reminds us that in the worst of moments, we know that Jesus is close. He's with us 
We shouldn't give up. We shouldn't give in. We should rely on his presence to sustain us. Yeah. Well, that leads me to the last point. You'll find it on your outline. It's simply this. Adversity is part of the will of God for our lives. Adversity is part of the will of God for our lives. You know, I wonder if anyone will come back to church next week after this sermon. (laughs) But we're learning the ways of God. We're learning the ways of God. Adversity is part of the will of God for our lives. Everybody say Carly. A theology that suggests that if we believe just right or confess just right or posture just right, stand just right, that it will always issue forth in this perfect plan and will of God, which is devoid of any pain or suffering or adversity, is deception of the worst kind. Horrible deception. See, the reason it's deception is because it leaves you defenseless in the struggle to claim your destiny. If your theology, if your worldview suggests that bad things never happen to good Christian people, then when you get in the pit, you'll start judging yourself and your faith will be damaged or destroyed in the process. Here's my admonition to you this morning. Stop judging yourself based on the circumstances you find yourself in. Stop judging one another based on the circumstances that you find them in. Let me ask you something. What did Joseph do to deserve any of the hell he went through for 13 years? What did he do to deserve that? The answer is nothing. He didn't do anything to deserve that. And yet that's what God used in his life to prepare him. What's your destiny? What is your internal destiny? If you'll grow and persevere in the pit and the circumstance will conform you to the image of Jesus Christ, if you go through an experience of your life that's like a pit and it's horrible and it's difficult and you pop through the other side. Did you hear Carly when she said, you know, God's used all these things that were intended to hurt and destroy me and upset my family. God's used all that stuff and now he's working it for good. I see the redemptive work of God in there. And, and so I'm rededicating my life to serve Jesus and to fulfill his destiny for my life. Do you hear all of that? If you make your way through that kind of pit experience and you realize that you've been shaped and further conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, you can write across that experience of your life, success. That was a successful time because as a result of it, I'm more like Jesus. Let's take this woman back off the shelf. You know, as it turns out, her children weren't perfect. They were a couple of rascals. And she had to take extra time and attention to try to nurture them and and care for them. And while they were difficult to her, nothing really compared to what happened to her next because she was falsely accused in her medical practice And they took away her credentials. And while she was falsely accused and she was later exonerated from those accusations, by that time she had already started going downtown to a free clinic and volunteering her time down there. And as she volunteered her time among the most needy in her own city, she started loving people and caring about their needs. And it began to shape her life. And her husband and she had some issues, but they worked them out. They worked through it. 
And she had some medical problems of her own, but she endured through those. And she graciously and patiently made her way. And you know, it began to not only change her, but it changed her husband as well. Her husband appreciated the quality of his wife's character and it inspired him to be a better person, a better Christian. And her children noticed too. And they, they noticed how selfless and willing to give their mother had become, how loving she was. And it shaped their character so that when they grew up and had families of their own, they began to instill the same values and virtues in their own children. And this woman realized that bad things happen. But God is with us. And he's willing to make good out of those bad things if we will endure. And she lived that way all the way to the end. Let me give you this uh, last statement. And really, this is the take home. And it's simply this. I'll put it on the screen for you. If you'll hang in there and allow adversity to temper your life by allowing God to mature you, shape, and grow you through patience, endurance, and perseverance, no telling what your destiny might include. No telling what God has in mind and store for you if you will patiently endure. Can I remind you today that God always meets you where you are? You may be in a, pers a person today who you're in a pit. You say, look, I'm in a pit or I've been in a pit. Listen, you keep breathing. If you haven't been in a pit, you will be. And you may be a person in one of those categories and you may wonder today whether you're going to make it. And maybe you've been in a pit and maybe in that pit you made some bad choices and you feel like your bad decisions and the consequences of those decisions have disqualified you from some destiny that God might have for you. And I want to say to you, don't think so highly of yourself. What makes you think that your pitiful little human weaknesses can keep Almighty God from doing something great in your life? God's not intimidated by your pity, your pathetic. He's not thrown off by that at all. In fact, see, this is his, this is his move. He likes to take things that are weak to confound the wise. He likes to take things that are broken and out of that brokenness bring great strength and effect. He wants to take things that have been smashed and reduced and, and, and knocked down and raise them up into something really substantial for his namesake. And here's the great news, that the grace of God, the will of God will meet you right where you are. So today, wherever you are, if your attitude is, God, please meet me today because from this moment forward, I want to live for you and serve you and fulfill the destiny you have for my life. Don't live in the, in the past. Don't dwell there. Ask, ask yourself, am I willing from this day forward to allow God to take me to a place of his dreams? And if that, if that is your testimony, God will meet you right where you are. You are not disqualified. You are not discarded. You are valuable. You are important. God has great plans for you. And if you'll submit your life to him, he'll take you to those plans. Amen? Everybody say Carly. All right, now stand up with me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for this amazing story, for the witness that Joseph provides for us.
this inspiration, this model. We thank you, God, that here's a man who walked through it. Lord, we thank you for the cooks today. We thank you for your hand on their lives and for the incredible inspiration they are to us and for Carly in particular, for the way that you continue to use her. Wonderful, beautiful. Now give us courage, we pray. Lord, remind us today that no one can take our dreams from us. Nothing, no circumstance, no crisis, no adversity can take us, can rob us of our destiny. No, no person can do it. No demon of hell can do it. The devil himself cannot take from us what you have designed us to do and be. We are the only ones who can choose to let go of our dreams. And so, Lord, give us the courage to take our stand and to endure and trust your closeness, your grace in our lives each moment to get through. Because, God, we know that you have placed your hand on us for a special purpose. Help us to live in that purpose. We pray now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.